Good evening, friends. This is your host on Valley Writers Read, Franz Weinschenk, here to welcome you to our program so you can listen to a fine story by a writer we've had on and enjoyed many times. None other than Fresno author Angelo Angarano, who will be reading a story of his called The Miracle of the Eggs. Here's Angelo. The Miracle of the Eggs When chickens eat at your table but lay their eggs elsewhere, who owns the eggs? It was 1905. Italy was in the throes of La Miseria, a time of grinding poverty, and this was especially true for the poor in the small town of Bichelie on the south Adriatic coast, where the disagreement between two friends, who were also padrini, ended in near tragedy. The five members of the Plebeo family lived in a rectangular two-story tufa-stone home, perhaps 200 years old, no one really knew. The top floor, an area of about 900 square feet, comprised the living quarters. The sleeping areas were created by suspension of sheets from the ceilings, enclosing each bed affording the grandmother, the boy, and the girl a small measure of privacy. Only a small distance, less than a meter, separated their beds. The parents' bed was similarly enclosed by bedsheet, but was located at the other end of the room. The bottom floor served as the stable and housed the animals, three young, sturdy working donkeys, six sheep, four goats, one boar, and three very fertile sows, and two lusty roosters, down a narrow, winding pathway bordered by low stone walls about a quarter of a mile beyond, behind the house on perhaps a quarter of an acre plot was the vegetable garden and a small orchard of ten cherry trees, four olive, three peach, two apricots, orange, three fig trees, three dozen grapevines, and a laurel tree. The Senza Scarpa family of four lived next door in an identically designed two-story tufa stone building with the upper story devoted to the living quarters and the lower floor to the stable with its animal treasure of two aged donkeys, three sheep, three goats, and a sow of questionable fertility. Their small farm, perhaps an eighth of an acre, bordered the plebeo farm and was planted in fruit trees and a few grapevines and vegetables. A flock of a dozen or so vagrant chickens who did not recognize the subtleties of property boundaries, ownership rights, or reciprocal social obligations had divided their wanderings between the two households, eating and sleeping in one, but frequently laying their eggs in the plebeo stable. The irresponsible action of these chickens were the ostensible causes of the dispute between the two courtyard neighbors, the maleducato, ill-mannered Senza Scarpe family, who still ate spaghetti with their fingers and slurped their soup and claimed ownership of the chickens, while the Plebeo family, with its pretensions to distant nobility, claimed ownership of the two roosters and of the eggs, which were frequently laid in the straw of the family stable. Early one morning, Signor Mario Senza Scarpe and his wife Rosina were lying in bed talking about the small number of eggs their chickens were laying. We only gather two or three eggs each week from our chickens, he complained. What do you think is wrong? We feed them well. Rosina turned toward him and said, I think it is the malocchio, the evil eye. I think somebody has enchanted them. How else can you explain it? 
The chickens are young, well-fed, healthy, and they have our neighbors, two lusty roosters, to remind them that they are chickens. No, Rosina, you are wrong. Who would do such a terrible thing as that to us poor peasants? Rosina raised herself on one elbow and nodded her head in the direction of the Pabeo place. You know, the one who thinks he's smarter and better than anyone. No, no, Rosina, I don't think so. While he is overly proud, he is not a bad man. Think of all the good things Signor Pabeo has done for us. Our children and his children have been good playmates. Our children have eaten at the Pabeo table many times, just as theirs have at ours. When you were ill, did not Signora Plebeo bring soup and laurel leaf tea to help you recover your strength? And is there not something good and beautiful stirring between our Rosinella and the young Ninillo? No, you are mistaken. I think the Plebeos are our true friends. They would not harm us in any way. And besides, after all, we are also padrini. You are right. It is not Signor Plebeo. It is the other one, the old lady. Only a woman has the power to put curses on things, Rosina said. I am sure that it is the old grandmother. You see, when she sits against the wall in the sun, with her beads in her hands, she is not really praying. She is pronouncing curses. Do you ever notice how pale her eyes are and how her eyes turn upward? Did you notice how she laughed when we told her our donkey was lame and our sow was barren? These are sure signs. She is the evil one. She knows how poor and honest we are and how much we need the eggs. Yet she puts a curse on us, she said, a note of self-pity in her voice. We only gathered two or three eggs in one week. We are being deprived of what is rightfully our own. The egg is, is life, Rosina said, waving her hands overhead. They are taking our lives. It is unjust. We should not be deprived. I know that the evil eye is at work, and the old lady is responsible. You must talk to Signor Plebeo. If he is an honest and just man, as you say he is, then he will do something. And for the next several days, Rosina urged her husband to confront Signor Plebeo, so some resolution of the now intolerable problem could be had. You must speak to him. He finally agreed. The widowed grandmother Pabeo, dressed entirely in her luto morning black, sat in the winter sun fingering her rosary, a black shawl over her head. Her red-headed ten-year-old granddaughter, Renata, came running toward her. Nonna, she said excitedly, look, I have found two more eggs today. This is the sixth one this week. Puzzled, she asked, but where are these eggs coming from? We don't have any chickens. Grandma sighed deeply, interrupted her rosary, and said, It is a miracle. Our two roosters are laying eggs. God is telling us something. We have been blessed. Renata laughed incredulously and asked, How can roosters lay eggs? Only chickens can. Grandmother shook her head. That's ordinarily true, but that is why it is a miracle, she said, with total confidence as she returned to her beads, beginning anew, for she had forgotten where she had left off. She had even forgotten her intentions for the recitation. Renata eagerly ran off to show her mother her new, most recent acquisitions. Early one morning, Mario approached Reggio, who was opening the shutters of the stable so he could attend to his animals. 
Buongiorno, padrino, godfather to my Rosinella. How are you? Mario asked as he removed his hat in deference to Reggio's education, his presumptive noble origins, and to his status as a former lieutenant of cavalry. Ah, padrino Mario, he said, as he removed his right glove in order to shake the proffered hand. I am fine, thank you, and you? How are things going with you? And Rosina and Rosinella and Gaetano, how are they? he asked. They are all fine, he answered, not knowing how to breach the delicate subject of the mysterious reduction in egg production and of the other problems he was facing. Patrino, you know that we are not doing very well. Do you remember the failure of our cherry crop last year and how bountiful your crop was? And do you remember how barren our sow was and your sows produced 24 piglets? and how little milk our sheep produced, and how much milk your sheep gave while they ate the same grass from the same pasture. And now our chickens have almost stopped laying eggs, he said abruptly. My good wife, Rosina, who grows thinner by the day, thinks there has been a curse placed upon her, our crops and our animals, while your crops and animals, on the other hand, have been blessed and are thriving, Mario complained. I am sorry to hear about your misfortune. What is it that you are saying? Do you think that someone in my household has placed a curse on your animals and crops? Or are you unhappy because we are prospering? No, no, don't answer that. I know you didn't mean it that way. But look, there are failures for everyone sometimes. How can I help you? Reggio asked. But let me tell you this. There are no curses or prayers that explain failures and successes. These happen by natural causes. Each has a natural explanation, Reggio said. Well, your daughter Renata told my Rosinella that Nonna claimed that a miracle had taken place in your home, he said cautiously. And you think the miracle might be in answer to Nonna's prayers? Nonna does pray a lot, especially the rosary. But what does that have to do with your problems? Prayers don't do anything. They keep old people busy, hopeful, and maybe happy. That's all. They don't cause anything to happen. Tell me, what might be that miracle that you heard about? Signor Pribleo asked. Well, that your roosters have been laying eggs, Mario said. Reggio laughed and replied, seriously now, you don't believe that, do you? Well, if that is not true, Mario said, with all due respect, then how do you account for the eggs your Renata says she finds in your stable each day? Well, I can assure you it is not the roosters, but some anonymous vagrant chickens which are laying their eggs, Reggio said. With all respect, Signor Padrino Plebeo, you do not own any chickens, Mario responded. Since these are not your chickens, they are not your eggs, he continued. Now let us say, supposing that those were my chickens, which were laying eggs in your stable, then by all rights of law those eggs are mine to claim. Reggio thought for a moment and said, I see your problem. But the question is, Padrino mio, how and when does someone justly claim to own an egg? You want to say that the eggs are yours, since you claim that they are your chickens, which are laying eggs in my stable. You feed them, and therefore you say, you are entitled to all the eggs they lay, no matter where they choose to lay them. Yes, with all respect, they are my eggs, Mario replied, a tone of assertiveness in his voice. 
With all respect, I cannot agree, Reggio replied. Padrino mio, do you remember when two years ago your nanny kidded in my stable? Yes. And do you remember who sired the kid? It was your billy goat. And do you remember the dispute about the ownership of the kid? And do you remember to whom the magistrate awarded the kid? According to the law, he judged the kid was mine, because my billy was the sire, and because it was born in my stable. But did we not, out of the generosity of our hearts, give you half of it when we slaughtered it for the holy sacrifice at Easter? Yes, you did, and we are grateful. But it was really only returning my portion of my kid to me. Only half the kid was yours. You must remember that it was my nanny goat which gave birth. So what you are really saying is that ownership is simply a matter of place, that I only own the nanny when it is on my property. And when my nanny goat strays onto your property, you can milk it and call the milk your own. You mean I don't own my chickens when they are on someone else's property? This sure seems outrageously strange and crazy to me, said Mario, scratching his head. Then the eggs are yours because they were laid in your stable. You are exactly right, Reggio answered, nodding his head and jutting his jaw for emphasis. And do you remember the case of the lawyer Ugo Malgiusto, a man who should know the law better, had tethered his horse for two hours in front of the house, adjacent to the house of the widow woman he was courting. And do you recall that he claimed ownership of the manure, since it was his horse which had created and deposited on the cobblestone pavement? But to whom did the magistrate award the ownership of the horse's manure? What do you say, Padrino Mario? I would say that the magistrate awarded ownership to the lawyer, Signor Malgiusto, the owner of the horse, answered Mario. To the owner of the horse? No, no, no. This is what the lawyer thought, but he was not an expert on the law governing ownership of equine manure. Of course not. You remember I was a lieutenant in the cavalry. I know a thing or two about the problems of manure ownership. The magistrate awarded ownership to the neighbor, of course, and justifiably so. In the cavalry, when the troopers are on maneuver, the owner of the land is awarded the manure, which the horses create, Reggio said, nodding, tilting his head while turning his hands palm upward in a gesture signifying both the profound majesty of the law and the subtle nature of justice. It is the same principle of law which is involved in the case of the chicken and the eggs. That sure sounds crazy to me. I don't understand, said Mario. Padrino mio, I can understand that you don't understand, Reggio said somewhat condescendingly. Let me give you another example. Do you remember the fig tree which I planted and carefully tended for several years until it finally bore fruit? Now that tree is mature and has a large branch which extends over onto your side of the stone wall, which separates our properties. Tell me, who owns the figs on your side of the wall? And by owning, I mean the exclusive right to eat them or do anything you wish with them? Answer me that question, Reggio demanded. According to you, I own the figs, Mario agreed. Of course you do, Reggio replied. Did I complain when you ate and enjoyed the figs? No, you know, Padrino, I know about these matters of ownership. After all, I have gone to school, and I have studied about them. I know the law. 
with all respect for your education and your military rank, Signor Padrino Plebeo, but if your pregnant sow escaped from her pen and gave birth to her piglets in my stable, would they then be my piglets? asked Mario, his voice displaying a rising anger. And before Reggio could answer, Mario asked sarcastically, with all due respect, Signor Lieutenant, supposing that I were to enter your house while you were away, and there your wife and I, in mutual consent, conceived a child, and later your wife gave birth to the child in your house. Whose child would that be, yours or mine, he asked disdainfully, as he looked Reggio fully in the face. Reggio, stunned and affronted by Mario's question, anger in his eyes and voice muttered, How dare you ask such a question, you ungrateful, impudent, illiterate, peasant bastard! You have the morals and the honor and the delicacy of a pig. You simply do not understand, do you? You have crossed the line. He removed the glove from his left hand and contemptuously snapped it near Mario's cheek, unaware that he had accidentally grazed it. He then turned and stalked toward the stairway of his home, opened the door, walked in, called for his wife and daughter, but there was no immediate response. Mario remained in the courtyard for several minutes, immobile, silently cursing his own failure to respond to the grave insult to his honor. He turned slowly and returned to his home, his hat still in his hand. Hearing Reggio's voice, his mother, Nonna, interrupting her rosary, answered his call. They are not here. They have gone to the oven. It's our day for baking, she returned to her beads. He said nothing but went to the cupboard, and with a shaking hand poured himself a cup of wine, drank it quickly, and said without explanation, I'm going to the farm. He walked to his little farm, hoping to overcome the agitation of the confrontation. There he busied himself with a needless examination of the trees, the tethered animals, and the vegetable garden. But he was too upset, really, to see anything clearly. That insolent son of a whore, he repeated under his breath, has breached the standards of propriety between Padrini. I don't think he knows who in the hell he's talking to. That evening, after their simple meal of bread, boiled horse beans, mixed with chicory and olive oil, Mario confided to his wife about the confrontation with Reggio. We were talking about the ownership of the eggs and justice. He's a smart man and an educated man. He seemed to be winning the argument. After all, he said, mocking Reggio, I was a lieutenant of cavalry. I have gone to school and studied about these matters, and I know about the law. I felt ignorant, helpless, and angry. I didn't know what to say, but still I was sort of joking with him, and he misunderstood and took it seriously. He was offended, deeply offended. I was about to apologize to him when that son of a bitch struck me across the face with his glove. He shouldn't have done that, and I got so damned mad I wanted to hurt him, strike back at him. He shouldn't have done that. Damn it, I guess I should have challenged him to a duel, or struck him, or kicked him, or cursed him. But to tell you the truth, now that I think about it, I really felt afraid to do so. At that moment, I was acting like a coward, and later I felt ashamed of myself. God, I hate that bastard and his superior ways, he said as he dipped the broken pretzel into his glass of wine and sucked on the softened, soggy end. Rosina rose from her chair 
embraced Mario's head in her arms as she rocked back and forth and said tenderly, You are brave and a good man. You could not answer him back because you are also under the spell of the old lady's curse. The Malocchio still has power over you, and that power prevented you from doing what you thought you should do. Don't worry. We will win. We will overcome the curse, for justice and goodness are surely on our side. Rosina said, Tell me again exactly what you said to Signor Plebeo that made him so angry. And Mario repeated all of the arguments and ended his recitation with a final and fatal question, Whose child would that be, yours or mine? Rosina, a sudden, troubled, puzzled, hurt look on her face, a note of coolness in her voice, answered, Oh, her voice rising, you were joking, of course, and he misunderstood you. Yes, of course, you were just trying to make a point, and it was entirely Senor Plebeo's fault, of course, she said, her voice beginning to quaver as if she were about to cry. She sighed deeply and said, We shall see what we shall do. This is not the end of this. We shall do something. We shall do what is right. She hurriedly cleared the few utensils from the table, placed them in a chipped blue porcelain pan, sliced a few chips from a bar of brown homemade soap, poured water from a wooden bucket over them, washed, wiped them dry, and put them away in the rude wooden cupboard with a draped dish towel for a door. After a distracted examination of the fruit trees in the vegetable gardens, Reggio noticed that in a number of places the low stone wall which separated his own property from the Senza Scarpa family orchard showed the signs of its many years of neglect. Many rocks had fallen, some were very loose, one section appeared ready to collapse entirely. I must repair the wall very soon, so my animals can be properly confined, he thought to himself. He hardly noticed the two swollen nannies, which were nearing their time to kid. The unstable stones in the walls of the neglected small stone hut next attracted his attention. He removed a very loose stone, examined it, and set it aside. The stone hut was started by his grandfather many years ago, using the very stones that Reggio himself, as a young teenage boy, had dug and gathered in in back-breaking labor in order to help clear the portion of the field for planting. He smiled as the memory of his own and Mario's children flashed into his mind as they played out their young fantasies in this unfinished, now crumbling ruin. He relived a moment of panic as he remembered his son, Anilio, who had bravely risked serious injury when he was 12 years old in response to a dare. He had climbed to the top of the building and fell when a stone gave way and the stones came tumbling down upon him. Reggio, still bitterly resentful, returned to his home the long way, thus hoping to avoid the Senza Scarpe household. Fearful and perhaps ashamed or afraid of an encounter with Mario or a member of his family, who surely must have known by now what had happened. Entering his home, he smelled the aroma of freshly baked bread as he was greeted by his daughter, Renata. Papa, where have you been? We have been waiting for you. Look at the wonderful bread we have baked today. Signor Fornaro said the heat of the oven was exceptionally sweet today. 
There on the table were seven round loaves of thick-crusted dark bread and two flat rectangular slabs of Roman focaccia with a little oregano, crinkled slices of tomato, and three or four garlic cloves embedded in the dough. His daughter broke a piece of the bread dipped in a shallow dish of olive oil and handed to her father. She did the same for her mother and for her grandmother, who interrupted her rosary long enough to eat the delicious morsel, then went back to her beads. Renata broke a piece of bread for herself, dipped it in a dish of olive oil, and said, This is the most wonderful food in the world. And Nona crossed herself and replied, Yes, it is. Thanks be to God, and was soon lost again in the recitation of her beads. I have something unpleasant to tell you, Reggio said sadly. This morning, Padrino, Mario, and I had words, and I'm afraid that we can no longer speak to each other. It is a matter of honor. My good name, no, our good name, has been called into question. So from now on, there must be silence between our families, he said, slowly and deliberately. But what was the quarrel all about, Lisa asked. He took a deep breath, sighed, and said, Good wife, it started off with a miracle of the eggs and a dispute over the ownership of those eggs, and then it got more complicated. I tried to explain the law to him, but he did not seem to understand. It got more complicated, and finally it got personally insulting, and I got angry with him and told him what kind of person I thought he was and that he had no right to make such remarks, and I waved my glove under his nose as I made those charges, and then I left. Hearing little else, Nona heard, however, the remarks that the miracle of the eggs and asked, What's the matter with him? Doesn't he have any faith? Doesn't he believe in miracles? What else can you call it when roosters lay eggs? She said, shaking her head in disbelief as she resumed her journey through her beads. Lisa asked, Well, what did he say of a personal nature that made you so angry? I'll tell you later. That insolent peasant doesn't know who he is dealing with. Three days later, Calvo Calvario, the tavern keeper dressed in his rough peasant clothing, but wearing a decrepit black top hat, lending some formality and dignity to the occasion, approached the door, knocked, and Senza Scarpe opened it and stood in the doorway. Greetings and all due respect, Signor Senza Scarpe. How are you? I trust you and your family are well. The reason for my visit is that I am acting as second to former lieutenant of cavalry, Signor Reggio Plebeo, concerning a grave matter of honor. He seeks satisfaction. He asks that you obtain a second, so that the terms of the encounter on the field of honor can be arranged. But what is this all about? Tell me, I don't understand. I cannot discuss the nature of the complaint nor the challenge with you. I can only talk to your second. Protocol demands it, said Calvio Calvario. You mean he wants to fight a duel with me? Yes, answered Calvo. And I have to have a duel with Signor Plebeo? Only if you wish to appear to be a brave, honorable man and not be branded as a coward. I'm not a coward, he repeated several times. Very well, then, I shall fight him. I will ask my friend and neighbor, Signor Alberto Spadacorta, the mason. You know him. He is an honorable man. He will speak for me. Tell him to meet me at my taverna after work today 
so we can talk. Although they had been friends for many years, Alberto and Calvo used the honorific title Signor in addressing each other when they discussed the conditions and terms of the duel. You know, Signor Calvario, that Signor Senza Scarpe is totally unfamiliar with firearms, so for him to have, a, to have to use a pistol, even though he is a courageous man, would place him at a great disadvantage. But he is very skilled in the use of a shovel. Could he not use the shovel as the instrument of honor? Signor Spadacorta, you amaze me. Who ever heard of using shovels to settle a question of honor? It is unthinkable. We will use the honorable traditional pistols. They will use my pair of old, but in good working order, cap and ball pistols. They are even beautifully engraved. I inherited them from my grandfather. But pistols would give Signor Plebeo an unfair advantage, since he is a former lieutenant of cavalry. That is true, but I have a plan in which both will leave the field of battle, believing that his honor has remained unsullied. And what plan is that? I will not tell you. Now I want you to report exactly what I say to Signor Senza Scarpe. Tell him that Signor Plebeo realizes that sometimes words are said in anger but by both parties and that they can hurt deeply but are not really meant to do so. Tell him that he has no personal animosity toward him. As a matter of fact, because they are padrini, he really respects and likes him and his family. But that, with all due respect, is a question of honor, and it must be settled on the field of honor. And tell him that he and his honorable opponent will meet day after tomorrow in the morning at 6 o'clock at a neutral place, the pasture behind lawyer Maljusto's house. I'm sure he will consent to its use. At the appointed time, the principals and a witness for each arrived at Maljusto's pasture. Senza Scarpe, dressed in his peasant clothing, Pabello in his ill-fitting cavalry uniform and a hat with a red feather in it, Calvario wearing his dilapidated top hat, Spadacorta in his nondescript peasant clothing. Calvario carried the weapons in their red, velvet-lined, polished mahogany chest. By agreement with Signor Spadacorta, said Calvario, Signor Senza Scarpe will have the honor of selecting his weapon first. Senza Scarpe did not seem to appreciate the honor. Signor Plebeo selected the remaining pistol, examined it, sighted down the barrel, and gave it his nod of approval. According to the protocol to the duel, you will stand back to back and walk forward ten paces, which I will count, and at my command you will turn, then fire if you so desire. Are there any questions? There were none. The antagonists assumed their positions, and Signor Calvario began the count. At the count of ten, he said, Turn! Both men turned, raised their weapons. Senza Scarpa's hand trembled beyond control. Pobello hesitated. Then both men seemed to fire simultaneously. After the cloud of smoke had cleared, both men could be seen, still standing, a little shaken but uninjured. Gentlemen, come forward, Calvario said. This encounter on the field of honor has made whole and restored your broken friendship. Both of you are men of honor, and you have shown the deep respect that you have 
for each other and now should still have for each other. Come, shake hands and embrace each other like the good friends and padrini that you are. Reggio and Mario came forward, shook hands, and then embraced each other formally, stiffly, in silence. As the small group made its way back to the town square, one of the witnesses whispered to Calvario, I thought Plebeia was a crack shot. Yes, I know, said Calvario. After the duelers had walked side by side for a few minutes without speaking, Senza Scarpe laughed, then said to Plebeio, With all due respect, Padrino mio, you know, and he laughed again, I still think that those eggs are mine, with my chickens have been laying in the straw of your stable. And with all due respect, Padrino mio, you are wrong. I have gone to school, I know the law, and it is on my side. Therefore, those are legally my eggs, he said, emphasizing each word while trying to control his mounting anger. So we come to the end of another program of Valley Writers Read. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Franz Weinschenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a production of Valley Public Radio produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinschenk. Please join us again next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another edition of Valley Writers Read.